0: Romans chapter 2 this morning and I have in here verses 1 to 16 uh, not to worry we probably will well I know we will we'll be in 12 to 16 next week but I want to read it because it kind of holds the whole thought together but there just isn't enough time for us to uh, expound the whole passage um, just a, a bit of context um, Paul has introduced himself he has a uh, Probably this, this thesis in verse 16, he talks about the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation. For all who believe, for the Jew first and the Greek, that a righteousness from God is revealed. And then he gets to verse 18. So last week we kind of uh, looked at, at this uh, the explanation of verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And um, so we spent a couple of weeks looking at at why is God so angry? Why is the gospel necessary? Uh, And I would say when we looked at the text last week, probably most of us who heard and listened last week probably had a a bit of sigh of relief, like, yes, Paul, the wrath of God needs to be poured out on those people. Yes, those who denied the truth those who deny nature, those who deny creation and our Creator, uh, and those who not only deny it, but, but those who encourage others to deny it. They suppress the truth. right? Who in their right mind is going to say, those are really good folks? right? If, if you have a truth, if you, if you have a truth, a concept, some knowledge that you know is going to rescue a person's soul, and instead of sharing that truth, even if they have some inkling of moving towards it, you turn yourself and say, no, 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 they can't hear that, they can't know that, I wanna suppress it, okay? That's the group of people last week. So I'm pretty sure if you were here last week, you went away and you're like, yeah, yeah, Rev, man, I wish all my neighbors would hear that. (laughs) Yeah, I wish those who wanna change all the bathrooms would hear that. I wish all those who uh, wanna, I want that, yes, yes, God. Pour out your wrath on them. Right? So I got some bad news for you. As they say in the Kuiper house, put on your big boy pants. Uh, They ain't the only ones who need the gospel. As the apostle does in his rhetorical style of question and answer, in my mind, it reminds me of the prophet Nathan when he told David the story that I talk about all the time. He tells David this story, and David gets so enraged. And it's like, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan says, but you're that man. But the apostle's going to do that to us this morning. And um, and so if you notice my prayers for humility, uh, the passage David chose for confession, the log and the planks, it's not just this text. It's all through Scripture. The sense... Those of us who are pretty good people forget how much we need the gospel. Those of us who are good neighbors, law abiding citizens, we pay our taxes, we even paid off our student loans on our own, those kind of people, you know, us, Those, those we need the gospel. Romans chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 16. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, now of course you know when you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself what it's there for, right? Uh, therefore, as he's talked about these other people who've suppressed the truth, who've exchanged the natural for the unnatural, who've worshipped idols instead of God, because of this, therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge. Practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking... Do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who sinned without the law They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. That first group of people, they deny nature, and they encourage others to do all the same, knowing they are wrong, they suppress the truth. but something happens in chapter two. Um, what happens in chapter two is uh, <laughs> who would have thought me saying something about pronouns would be um, something <laughs> like that would make people look up and like, what's you going to say about pronouns right who would have thought like? You know, 10 years ago, uh, the changing of pronouns. But he changes pronouns, just so you know, right? He goes in chapter 1 from they, them, there to you, we, us, oh, man. He gets them. Right, he just—I mean, he—they're they're reading this. It's a, a thoughtful presentation of the gospel. It's beautiful that it was written down. He had time. He's—he is laying out his argument. He is reeling people in. We—we we know that those who break the law, those who suppress the truth, those who worship idols. We know that the God, God's wrath falls on them. But what about you? What about you? You, oh man. And so it's as if he's set up a person here that he's saying, it's now it is your turn. We have dealt with the ones that, that you know are unrighteous. We have dealt with them. We have not given them a free pass. They, they will receive the wrath of God. But what about you, oh man? You know why he has to do this? Look at me, people. We think we're better than other people. I know that about you. Because I know that about me. We think we're better than other people. We do. What about you? Oh man. You know, it it, it it's it was what David was saying. It's this ability to see clearly the sin of other people you know if i get despondent and in despair it's because i'm able to see that so clearly in other people and i can't fix it if i get into the real deep deep dark thoughts it's because i see it in me and i can't fix it and i go to the father and i'm like father you've given me this 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 how is it still so hard for me to hold on to the value that the gospel gives me how am i to pass it on to others the apostle does this to the readers he says what about you because here's the truth those he's addressing suppress a different kind of truth we have in some sense a different class of righteousness truly a different class of unrighteousness We have looked at that other group and we have said in our hearts and our minds, at least I'm not that. I may be this, but I'm not that. I may have done this, but I'm so much better than them. The apostle says, oh, before you rest on who you are and you find your worth in not being them, what makes you think? You're going to avoid his wrath. Yeah, we hold on to a different class of unrighteousness. It's called self-righteousness. It's the record that we have built up. It is the reason that deep down we feel better than other folks. And whatever it is that makes us feel a little better than other folks... It's what slowly bubbles up and makes us judge other people, you know? So, so and, and, and again, it's usually not something bad, right? So um, like, m- those of you know, my wife, Tammy has an amazing work ethic, right? It's just, it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't stop, right? She just, you know, that song we sing Waymaker, he never stops, never stops working. We actually would sing that before to Tammy, you know? She never stops, never stops working. And, and it's every once in a while, I'll joke with her and say, "Golly, you're lazy. And, and she'll fall into it every time. She'll look, I'm like, I'm like seriously, Tammy? <laughs> do you really, do you really ever think that, that I ever think, like, like if I'm gone for a weekend, I come back, she gives me her whole list of everything she did. And I'm like, are you sure you didn't sit on the couch and eat bonbons all weekend? You know, are you sure, Tammy? Is this really what you got done? Right? And, and so for whatever it is, we have to, if it, if it rises up to that level that says, I'm better than other people because I don't judge other people. Well, guess what? You're just judging the other people who judge others. There is no escape, oh man. We do this all the time. At least I don't do that. At least I haven't committed this. Or at least I do this or I do that. We suppress the truth about ourselves and we end up living off this comparative analysis of the other class. Uh, We preach it, we teach it. Mm -hmm. um, And the apostle here is saying, it's not enough. You will not escape this wrath of God. And so I think maybe of all the texts we've looked at so far, this is the one that, that we need to honestly, humbly, before our God, it's neat, we need to chew on this, Three Rivers. Because I think we do a lot of things better than a lot of other people. I think our theology is probably the best in town. I don't think it's wrong to say that. I hope every church would say that about their theology. I think our music is stellar. I love our order of worship. I need it. I leave every week feeling this sense of relief from guilt and shame. We take the sacrament together. and I walk out, and I'm just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have done everything for me. Thank you that my standing with you doesn't depend on the membership numbers or if we meet budget. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We need to ask ourselves, but does it, does it in some sense make us judge others in a way? that says, my righteousness is bound up in what I do. So Paul traveled all around the world. He argued in all different circles. And so people like uh, in the commentators are saying, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the Jews? Uh, The Jews might be a subset of this, but next week he'll say, you who call yourself a Jew. So he'll be clear about who it is. But you can think of these people probably closely aligned really to ourselves good law-abiding people, people who do the right thing. And so the sermon and sentence this morning is, the gospel is especially good news for the law-abiding, nice people. The gospel is good news for us three rivers. It's good news for you who think you do most things right. It's good news for you who think you do things better than other people. Because the truth is, you might do things better than other people. The other truth is, we might be better than those people around us. But, compared to the righteousness of God, the Apostle Paul later on in life will say, all of these things that I accomplished, to me they were filthy rags, because they kept me from grasping this gospel of Jesus Christ. These things, this record, it kept me. I felt I had less need of Jesus than all those people around me. So we're going to break this text down into three parts. And like I said, we'll just probably do these first two this morning. The first is that um, God judges the judges. Secondly, that God's judgment is impartial. And thirdly, God's judgment is universal. First, God judges the judges. So in verses 1 to 4, um, he, he is in fact, saying, you who judge are going to be judged. You who judge are going to be judged. So the text we used for confession this morning, judge not that you be judged, it's this same concept. Jesus is saying, if you at least know enough to judge others, can you even stand up to the judgment that you're pouring out on other people? I think it's interesting if you read First Samuel chapters 2 and 3, uh, young Samuel receives this word of God that the house of Eli is going to be judged. And Eli was a priest. And, and God tells Samuel, I am going to deal with the sin of this priest, and I'm going to do it in such a way that will make the ears of everyone tingle. It, 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 I'm going to do it in, in such a way that it is clear that this is my judgment upon his house And the judgment upon the house of Eli is severe. You know why? Because Eli was given a charge. He's not just some run-of-the-mill guy. Eli was the priest. And so the priest was given charge over the people. The sons of Eli were given charge over the people. They were to help the people as they came to the temple, feeling the weight of their sins. The sons were to help them, say, here's how God has provided through His law for you to be cleansed. Here's how God has provided through faith doing this sacrifice for you to leave this place in good standing with God. And instead, they took advantage of the people. And so the house of Eli and the judgment of God is severe. Our God will judge the judges. It's important that we grasp it because at times we look at those in power and we just, we just, we're, we're like, why, why don't they do this differently? Why don't they do this better? This is not fair. How can they do this to me? Rest assured, God will judge the judges. Um, but, but God will also judge us according to the measure we use on others. Um, he who condemns others, he's saying he who condemns others according to the law of God, is condemning himself. And you know we are all judges, right? We judge other people by their children, their clothing, their spouses, their education, their cars, their homes, their college degrees, their titles, their body image, their clothing, even their language. I had a really brilliant guy in our church in California, and he was working on losing his southern drawl. He worked for the Jet Propulsion Labs. Like supposedly that's the top job that you can get uh, if you're a rocket scientist engineer. The Jet Propulsion Laboratories in Pasadena, California, like that's the top job. And every once in a while he'd say something Southern. And I'm like, oh man, Robbie, I missed that. He's like, oh, oh. He goes, I'm trying so hard to lose it. I'm like why? Nobody wants an engineer with a Southern drawl. They will assume that you're ignorant like really yeah yeah i don't i just i we judge right we judge and so paul asks this two rhetorical questions first do you suppose that you who are the one who judged and practiced things do you think that you will escape the judgment of god that's the question you ask yourself to what extent do i judge others and how does my judging of others provide insight into my own self-righteousness. Okay? If I judge others, what I am saying in judging others is I find my worth and value and righteousness in not doing what I'm condemning you. And Paul has the audacity to say you you actually do. This this week there were two two men that I was just upset with thoughts of them when my mind I was mm-hmm. upset with them. And how was I upset with them? They did this to me. They said this to me. They caused me this pain. I would never do that to them. Guess what? I did that to them. <laughs> Guess what? I, I, I said those things to other people. What do we do with that? And why is community so important? It's hard. Church community is hard. Why is it so important? Because God's going to use that to grow us. Right? We can see sin in other people. It just happens. I mean, we just see it. It just seems so easy. Have you thought about it? When, when that happens, that it's actually a gift from God in community saying, Hey, Kuiper, you know what you see in them? You have it. take a moment and, and check your own heart I have brought this person into your life that you might see what it looks like from a different outsider's view an outsider's perspective now take some time in the stillness of your soul and bring your heart before me I, I know I've said this before most of the time it was when I was dealing with kids <laughs> most of the time it was when I was ready to just get rid of one or two of them trade them in Um, And Tammy would say, what if God treated you that way? Right, you know, I've said that all the time and and I hate it when Tammy said that because she was always right. How does God treat you, Mark, when you act this way? But he also does that in our community. What makes you think, oh man, that you escaped the judgment of God? Um, We spend a lot of time talking and noting the offenses of others when we should spend most most of it looking at ourselves. We are precise and exacting in other folks, but blind and lenient on ourselves. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, doubt, and we allow ourselves to blame shift and make excuses. What makes you think, O man, you who do the same thing will avoid the judgment of God? Then he asks this second question, the second rhetorical question uh, in verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now, this is a great answer to the question of why do bad people get away with stuff, right? We, they presume upon uh, God's forbearance, his kindness, and his patience. And, and the apostle here is saying to, to us, christians to us who think we're better than other people he's saying to uh, god is patient with you because he is wanting his kindness to bring you to repentance now now again when when we have relationships with subordinates right if if, if, if i have people that are reporting to me I long for that relationship to be good, and I long for that relationship for the subordinates to do what they're supposed to do because I'm kind to them, because it's a benefit to them, right? When that doesn't work out, what happens next? You have a little sit-down meeting, right? And you have a little sheet, and you have a performance review, and you have them sign that performance review that says you need to do one, two, and three better by this date, my kindness hasn't worked. <laughs> My being sweet hasn't worked. Now I'm going to be more forthright. And if it doesn't happen by X, Y, Z date, then you're going to find employment somewhere else, right? And, and the apostle is saying that, Christian, God's kindness to us, His forbearance with us, it, it is designed to lead us to repentance. It's designed in this beautiful, safe way. The the awkward, obnoxious people that he brings into our life is designed to bring us to him through repentance. Uh, I think it's interesting. Bertrand Russell, the agnostic, says, I haven't seen God punish or speak to man. Really? (laughs) The apostle is saying, that's what you see in the world. That's what you see in the suffering, and the brokenness. It's interesting that Freud, um, the atheist, says, "Why does a benevolent God allow such suffering?" You know, his death—his um, death was painful, cancer of the palate. Uh, why? Why do you presume? And that's exactly what happens. You presume upon God's patience. And so that's the question you ask yourself. Um, How do I suppose that I will escape the judgment of God? How will you suppose to escape the judgment of God? Well, one way we escape it is what we do in our service. Repentance and faith. How do we escape it? We, we escape it by naming it and confessing it. We escape the judgment of God by holding to Christ. And, and in some sense, I don't even like the word escape judgment. Think of it in this manner I don't escape judgment. I face the judgment of God wrapped in Christ, wrapped in Him. I go to the judgment of God, I go to the courtroom of God, wrapped. I will never, ever outgrow that. That's why when we point to our own righteousness, when we judge, we are in some sense saying, the gospel is not enough. I need to have the gospel plus this record, the gospel plus my good works. How will we, how will we survive it? Um, secondly, um, God judges the judges. And then the second part here, verses 5 to 11, his judgment is impartial. Um, he will judge all, and here he says he will judge all by their works. Um, and and so the rest of this text, five to eleven, he has these two different hearts. So one of them is described as impenitent, the heart that is impenitent. That word means the heart that doesn't feel guilt, shame, regret over your actions or your attitudes. The two types of hearts, the impenitent one uh, is often called hard, uh, self-righteous. The last thing that heart wants to do ever is admit fault, ever to say, uh, not only am I sorry, but I have no excuse. I was wrong. I sinned against you, the impenitent heart. And so he is folding it out He's saying, those who judge are ruled by an impenitent heart. And so they find their comfort in judging others. They find their comfort in comparing themselves to others rather than comparing themselves to Jesus and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, continue your mercy on me, a sinner. God, help me love the one that that annoys me. Um, So Um, As we go through this, what what are the causes of his judgment? Well, the causes, of course, are from the heart. Two types of heart. Your heart, and impenitent heart. Uh, God's kindness was supposed to bring us to repentance, but it hasn't. Our works flow out of our hearts. There's an impenitent, hard heart, or there is a soft, pliable, humble heart. The works that we perform is the litmus test of the heart. The works show what's in the heart. Uh, they, 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 they give credence to what the heart says it believes. I, I, I had a right, I had a right as a father to expect greater respect and greater obedience from my own children. There was a a relationship there. They knew the law. They knew what delighted and upset their father. Uh, I was right to expect good works, even as a way of avoiding wrath, punishment, discipline. But later on, the desire was that the works would flow out of a loving relationship. Later on, there was the hope that repentance would come not out of force but out of an internal heart that says, I've wronged you, Dad. I've wronged you, Mom. I've said these things. I've done these things. I knew I was supposed to do this, and I didn't do this. When he says you're judged according to your works, he's saying that, that that's what we are able to see. Uh, so in the fall, the, the winter, you know, we'll put out once again um, the, the forms to nominate people for office. And and the forms to nominate people for office list all of these things, these character things. Have you seen this, 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 this in this person? Uh, It's not that your works are saving you. It is your works are showing what matters. Works are showing what is truly alive and in your heart. Uh, What do they seek? So the soft, pliable heart, verses 7 and 8, they seek righteousness. Uh, Look what the text says. Uh, They seek glory and honor and immortality. But it is God's glory, God's honor and immortality. They are seeking his righteousness. Verse 8. The hard and penitent hearts are self-seeking and they do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. We are called to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. What do we do? Verse 8. Uh, the righteous heart does good works. They obey the truth. The unrighteous heart obeys unrighteousness. Verse 9 to 11, where are they going? The righteous will receive glory and honor and peace. The Jew first and the Greek. But the unrighteous, in verse 9, will receive tribulation, distress for every human being who does evil. We who live by grace, who speak about grace, whose tagline for our church says grace changes everything, does not contradict this text. Grace changes everything. The only thing that will change an impenitent heart is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And only when a heart is able to say, when I come face to face with the truth of who I am, what I believe, my attitudes, what I've done, when I bring that to a holy God in humility through Jesus, I will receive love. In fact, that's what my Father wants. Remember the text that we had for confession and assurance? The Apostle Paul says grace was given to me the foremost of sinners why (laughs) that god might demonstrate his goodness so i think some of the takeaways that we get from this text thus far i think it would just be awesome wherever you journal or whatever if if you just i use post-it notes in my bible to this week think about the statements of judgment that you make and how that sets up kind of your list of confession. (laughs) So this week, I, I, I looked at those that I felt superior to, and in each area where I felt either wronged or not honored or not, each area fed me a prayer of repentance. Why, oh God, do I feel like I deserve this? Why, oh God, do I think people should worship me and honor me? Where did that come from? Why do I want that? Why do I feel wronged when I don't receive that? How have you, oh God, dealt with me when I've done this to you? The last part, and we'll come back to this next week, but it's good to know that God's judgment is universal. That's why I said it. Sometimes it's not good to think about escaping judgment, but facing judgment. His his judgment is universal. And so he he broadens it, and he's like those who sin without the law and those who sin under the law. Um, All will face the judgment of God. All will face it. And who will be the judge? So verse 16 tells us, On that day, when according to my gospel... God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We will face Christ Jesus as judge on that day. Um, I love what Alexander Hume says on this text in reference to judgment. He says, I turn now to justification. As you say it, the justification of a sinner by a holy and righteous God. But it is God that justifieth if then god is righteous the justification of a sinner is a question in which righteousness is involved well we know it can't be by man's righteousness either without the law or under the law right this text is not saying shape up it's not saying you're going to be judged by your works so just you know pull up your bootstraps and and be good this work is saying run to the gospel this work follows i'm not ashamed of the gospel why because those who suppress the truth need it, and you who judge others need it. It is the power of God for your salvation. Well, he says, we, we cannot by man's righteousness either with the law or under the law. The Gentile without the law was lawless. The Jew under the law was a lawbreaker. Every mouth was stopped. The whole world brought in guilty before God. How could God justify either, either the lawless or the lawbreaker? <coughs> righteousness was not what he found in man. Where then could his righteousness be found for a man? Not in any creature, surely. For the innocent creature, be it man or angel, has none to spare. All he has is due to God. The only source of righteousness then is God himself. His righteousness revealed in the gospel of the principle of faith to faith. We'll pick up this next week. But for now, brothers and sisters... I want you to think about that thought. Why do I think I'm better than other people? Why do I think I'm better? And how does that really affect my expectations from God, my worship of God, my joy in his gospel? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for even the way that it comes to us. There are moments when the correction and the rebuke, especially when it seems to fall on those that annoy us, who make our lives difficult, where we just accept it. We're so glad when your righteous judgment comes upon those that we feel we are set against. And yet, Father, in so doing, we often forget what Christ has spared us from. Father, may we answer the question, what makes you think you will avoid the judgment, O man? May we answer that question with only the blood of Christ, only the righteousness of God that he has given to me freely by faith. May that be meaningful more and more to us. May we see our relationships and interactions with other people not as a means of judging whether we want to have community with them, feel safe with them, can trust them, but, Father, as a gift from you. that You may be in so doing opening our hearts to the blind spots. Oh, Father, we long to even be a community where a, a brother could approach us, a sister could approach us, and our first response wouldn't be defensiveness, blame shifting, or pointing out their flaws. But a loving and kind brother or sister approaching us about our works, about our words, we would receive it in gratitude and in joy and in love. We would truly be in such a state where we can say it was good that I was afflicted. Precious are the wounds of a friend. Lord, we know this won't happen without your supernatural infusion of grace upon us. So we ask for it. We now set apart these elements, Father, that we would indeed leave this place full of Jesus, overflowing with grace and gratitude. We ask this in his name. Amen.